I'm Nathan Oren, and this is Journal Talk, episode 29, with my guest, Heather Severson. Yeah, my formula for successful journal practice is accessibility. If you keep a journal close at hand or a notebook or scraps of paper at all times, you will never be without your, your little companion. You can create a soothing ritual and routine for writing. You can snatch a few minutes to write out of thin air. And these fragments accumulate over time. You know, they really, even a few minutes here and there, if people often ask, well, I don't have time to keep a journal. Well, a little bit goes a long way over time. In the in the line to the bank, you can you know take a deposit slip and write a few notes and slip it in your <laughs> in your purse and then put it in your box later or whatever you know it's it's That's something great. manageable. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And above all, just enjoy your journal writing practice. Don't let it be one more onerous obligation in your busy life. You know mm-hmm. it's, it's your practice. It's it's uh, it can be done totally on your terms and uh, there's no rules. You know. Thank you for tuning into Journal Talk, nominated the best health and fitness podcast of 2013. We're here to bring you the latest news, trends, and inspiring tips about journal writing. Our whole library of free Journal Talk episodes can be found at www.writeforlife.us. And here's our host of Journal Talk, the Dr. Phil of Journaling, Nathan Oren. Hello, and welcome to Journal Talk. This week, I have a real treat for you, whether you've been journaling all your life or just getting started. My guest is Heather Severson, an award-winning freelance writer and educator who has a very unique perspective. Heather's quite involved with the writing community, but you might know her from the discussion group that she leads on LinkedIn called Write It Out Journal Workshops. She's another lifelong journaling advocate who brings us some really great tips and personal examples of taking journal writing to the next level. And I can't wait for you to hear her methods on keeping your journal notebooks organized for future reference. And even if you've already been handwriting for 30 years, she's got ways to help keep you organized. I have four really rich segments of conversation to share with you, and I do want to warn you in advance about segment number two. We discuss some fairly heavy subject matter. It might not be appropriate for everybody. Now, Heather doesn't divulge any graphic details, and there's no explicit language used, but we both agreed that some people, perhaps people who have suffered from childhood trauma might be triggered by the subject of molestation. And so you might want to skip that portion of the conversation if it doesn't feel right for you. But before we get to that, let's get to know who Heather is today. And in this first segment, she describes some unique perspectives that she has on writing. Listen in. Heather, thanks so much for joining us on Journal Talk, and welcome to the program. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so honored to be included on your wonderful show. Oh, thank you. I was looking over your, I guess you would call it your resume, your CV, and just tickled with this phrase that you use, a gypsy scholar. So could you tell Journal Talk listeners what you do and who you are in the world? Okay, sure. Well, I consider myself a mercenary writer and a gypsy scholar, and basically what that is is a humorous take on the idea of freelance writing, you know, hence the mercenary writer writing for pay and profit, 
and um, an adjunct college instructor. So I, I glam it up a little bit by saying I'm a gypsy scholar. I travel mm-hmm, mm-hmm. about and teach wherever adults are able to learn. And also it's sort of a nod to my own creative inquiry as an independent scholar, unaffiliated mm-hmm. with any institution. I see, I see. I, I relate to that in a lot of ways. Yeah, it allows me to keep my fingers in a lot of different pots. I don't know mm-hmm. necessarily if that's always good, but it sure is a nice way to live. Yeah, yeah. Tell us about some of your journal workshops and how you help people. Well, I offer journal workshops and creativity consulting under sort of the the brand name Write It Out Journals. And I do this because journal writing is one of my top-tier life passions. I've I've just found that it's it's uh, my own practice has actually I I believe literally saved my life. And I'm mm. deeply p- fulfilled by being part of a community of journal writers. I mean, your, your show is an example, and some of the associations, like the International Association of Journal Writers, and mm-hmm. um, all the wonderful journal writers out there who are sharing their stories. I mean, I, I, you know, all the people, all the guests on your show are great examples of that. And I love being part of that world. Journal writers yeah. are just great people. Yeah. It's somewhat addicting to find other people that love it as much as I do. <laughs> yes, we, we learn from each other. And I, we do. We I, do. I find that it's a, it's a solitary practice, but it, it really can inform and be a foundation and a common practice for very intimate community because we, we know we kind of speak the same language. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. So, Heather, how did you first get into this? What got you starting to write and, and what keeps you writing today? Well, I, I started keeping a diary, I think, as, as I was learning to write. My grandfather uh, was a scholar, and he kept uh, daily diaries from the time he was a child until he died. And I actually have those now, so it's a real gift to be the, the oh, wow. steward of those. And um, I would sit at his feet when he was writing, and I would just do it. And um, it's just kind of what people did. I think my family members kept journals on and off, and um, it, you know, I was part, part of a very creative family. And so I think when I was about 11... In fact, I remember it was May 12, 1981, and I was 11 years old, and I started a real steady daily journal practice that I continue to this day. Wow, Yeah, yeah, and it's just part of my life. It's not even a, a – um, I don't think I could not do it. I think if I don't have a journal around, I'll write on napkins, and, you know, I'd be out in the forest, you know, scrawling on tree bark if I had to. I mean, it's not even a matter of trying to make myself do it. I think I, I couldn't live without it. It's addiction, mm. addiction, as you put it. Yes, yes. Wow. I, I appreciate that you grew up in a creative family and you had people around you just doing it, and it became natural for you. That's, uh, that's quite a blessing. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm very uh, fortunate with my family. They're, my parents are yeah. successful writers and artists and publishers, and they work across all kinds of different media. And when I was a kid, there were always art supplies around, and I was never prohibited from playing with them. So I got to experiment a lot, but because they make it a business out of their art, um, if I asked for it, I was held to account for quality. I mean, it was never enforced on me. It was only when I was ready. But I sort of grew up with sort of a business sense about creativity, that you could play and experiment all you wanted, but at some point you had to kind of be accountable to your audience and perhaps, Mm -hmm. you know, make a satisfying project or product for pay. And so I'm very fortunate as a creative person to have come up with both of those senses, and they don't interfere with one another. Yes, yes, that's quite an education to get as a young one. Wow. Yes, I'm, I'm very lucky. I have to say, I, I thank my mother and, and my dad all the time because they, you know, they gave me so much. And the older I get, you know, it's kind of a trite, you know, a little observation, but the older I get, the more I appreciate the value of what yeah. they've given me. 
You're listening to another fun episode of Journal Talk with your host, Nathan Oren. We are interested in hearing from you, our listeners, whether this is your first time tuning in or you are already a subscriber to our podcast. So please send us your reactions, comments, feedback, suggestions, and let us know what you like most or least about Journal Talk. Email us at info at writeforlife.us. That's spelled I-N-F-O at W-R-I-T-E, the number four, life, L-I-F-E, dot U-S. We look forward to hearing from you. And now, back to more Journal Talk. Welcome back to Journal Talk. On this show, we've heard lots of stories over the past year about why people get started in journaling or how journaling has played an important role in recovering from traumatic events. This story that you're about to hear might be the most sinister so far, and yet when you hear what Heather has done with this story now in her adult life, it could also be the most inspiring story. It's another example of how a written account of somebody's stormy season of life ends up becoming a catalyst for social change in the world. I'm really proud of what Heather's doing with her journal. Here is segment number two. I understand that you also had your fair share of tragedy. Do you want to share a little bit about that? I know it's a sensitive topic. Yeah, this is, and I, I want to kind of give people a, a moment to pause and, and, and warn that this is going to be talking a little bit without going into details about childhood sexual abuse. So if that's a triggering issue for your listeners, they might want to either brace themselves for it or perhaps even turn off the show for a while because I certainly don't want anybody to be surprised by some of the trauma that can get awakened by this when, when other mm. people talk about it. So with that, I will, I will go into it a little bit. For my entire high school career, I was targeted, selected, and groomed for prolonged and repeated sexual assault by a popular teacher in my small rural high school. Mm. And uh, that was, it was a deep secret. Nobody really knew until uh, the bitter, you know, terrible revelation. Um, and I, I kept secret journals alongside my normal adolescent journals. And those mm. were what kept me uh, alive during that time, and, and, and it helped me sort of sustain myself as I, love, I lived this horrible double life. You know, I was a, a pretty accomplished student. I wouldn't, you know, I wasn't a cheerleader type, or you know, I was kind of one of the smart, nerdy kids. But I did a lot of stuff mm. around the school and got good grades, and was kind of known as a good kid. And, and um, people were so shocked when they found out this had happened. And, and back in the late '80s. It was, there was a lot of blame the victim. I'm the one who ended up leaving my small town. The teacher did not get punished very much. Uh, he ended up leaving later, but I don't believe he's able to teach anymore, but it was really, it was really a, a very bad traumatic situation. And everybody in the school and the community really fell victim to this too because it was a betrayal of trust for everybody, you know, not just mm -hmm. me or any other victims he might have had, but, you know, the kids who were in his on his sports teams and, and um, his family and, and his colleagues. It was just, it was devastating. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing that. And I would have to say you're, I don't know how many of the listeners to this show would relate to you, but I know that there are other people who would definitely relate to that. And just to relate it back to the journal writing, can you describe a little bit about how it 
is that writing could help a person through that? Well, I think I was drawn to it instinctively. First of all, I had the journal writing habit already, and so I kind of knew to go to my journal, you know, for confidences of of adolescent woes and things. I mean, I started it when I was 11, so I was kind of used to going there, and and I found great solace just in the process of writing. But I also, you know, and I didn't find out later until I I revisited those journals, you know, several years later, maybe 15 years after I had started keeping them, that I had really kept uh, quite an interesting narrative arc about my story, and I had insights that I wasn't really connected to consciously, but I think somehow I was under my own awareness. There was a, a level of just, I don't know, self-preservation that went on. I mean, I struggled mm-hmm. so much, and there were so much, so many dilemmas I addressed. And um, actually, in, in, in the process of rereading my journals, I decided to publish them as a memoir, and so I've, I've done that. I've transcribed select journal entries, and I'm publishing it. And the title of it is called uh, Trust Me, Lessons I Should Not Have Learned in School. And mm-hmm. it's a raw, real-time account of what happened to me as it happened. Um, if I went back now and tried to write a memoir about it, I'd be very informed by my identity as a parent and as an adult. And so I think, I actually, I don't think I would go back and write a memoir about it if I hadn't written it then. I think the value mm-hmm. of my story mm-hmm. is that it's spoken from the experiences of the kid who it was happening to. And so it's, yeah. uh, I'm hoping that it'll be, it'll be informative to educators and advocates and legislators and anybody who's going to try to combat this issue because it, it really tells the truth from the kid's point of view. And it's, you know, I mean, it's a very unreliable narrator. I mean, I, I really believed I was in love with my teacher. And so it's, you know, in a way there was some kind of, you know, one of my readers said it sort of could read like a, a Romeo and Juliet tragic love story. But if you read beyond the surface, you know, beyond that surface story, you see the, the, the ongoing horror and, and the deepening <laughs> web of yes. deceit that was webbed, you know, woven around yes. me. And yeah. how I, there's no way I could escape it. So yeah. I, that's my hope is that telling my story will help do some good and yeah. make it not happen yeah. for anybody else. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Wow, that's pretty remarkable. And I uh, can't wait to uh, pick up a copy. You said it's called Trust Me? Yes, Trust Me. And then the subtitle is Lessons I Should Not Have Learned in School. Yeah, very good. Well, thank you for sharing that. Sure. I think your listeners are going to hear, you know, this is the, the first recorded interview I've done about it. So this is, this is a pretty big deal for me to, to be in a place like this. And I feel like wow, it's a pretty Wow, you heard safe... it here first. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you, you, you're such a good interviewer and, and you, you create such a, a web of safety around us. And, and I think that, you know, it's a great place to start talking about this. And many people deal with tragedies and challenges in their lives in their journals. So I don't think mm-hmm. this is a surprise to anyone who keeps a journal that, that this writing process really is useful for us to survive and thrive. Absolutely, absolutely. If there's one message I'm trying to advocate, it's definitely that, you know, writing is a great safe space that you create on your own. You're listening to Journal Talk, a podcast for sharing tips, inspiration, and expert interviews about therapeutic journaling. We take this moment to say thank you for tuning in. And now, back to your host, Nathan Oren. Thanks for tuning in to Journal Talk. I'm Nathan Oren, and I had the pleasure of actually meeting Heather Severson in person in Tucson, Arizona, at a Progoff Intensive Journaling Retreat. And wow, what an experience. I'll have to tell you more about that in a separate episode, but... 
just to keep it short here, it was really great to see Heather there, and she was helping out with registration, handling the three-ring notebooks to people as they as they came in. And during the entire course, she was walking around with uh, package after package of notebook paper, replenishing everyone's supply at their workstation. And then I saw her break open her ProGoff journal, and she had stacks, and I mean oodles of her own written pages, and she was assembling them all into a giant three-ring binder. I thought, wow, this gal is truly committed. Obviously, she really uses the ProGoff method on a regular basis. It was great to get to know her better, and we were able to share some lunch at break time, get some sushi. We had a blast. So, when it came to choosing which book about journal writing uh, to review this week, my friend Albert Diaz-Cruz conspired with me to share this one. Albert, take it away, my friend. Here we are again, ready to share a quick review of At a Journal Workshop Basic Text written by Dr. Ira Pragoff. Now be mindful, there are two editions, one published in 1975 and the revised edition in 1992. I'm Albert, and I wonder if one quick review can capture the depth of the intensive journal method and its process as embodied or exemplified in this book. This journaling process, contemplative in nature, allows the writer to gather the raw material of your life through an integrated system of exercises and a structured three-ring notebook divided into 20 subsections. Let's use one exercise which serves as a guideline in capturing and exploring a time unit of your life. Ask yourself, where is my life trying to take me? What aspects of my life require my attention? Allow these questions to be heard and be answered on the pages of your journal. Don't judge, criticize, or label the responses. Be gentle with yourself. Be loving. They will become part of an ongoing process that will deepen your experience of writing and journaling, which in turn will become leads into different areas of your life. I hope you have enjoyed hearing about this book and the spirit of its method. At a journal workshop, writing to access the power of the unconscious and evoke creative ability. I'll be back next time with another brief review. Stay tuned. Thank you. Thank you, Nathan. Great. Thanks, Albert, to you. You'll find the link to Dr. Ira Progoff's book, At a Journal Workshop, on the show summary page for this episode, which is www.writeforlife.us slash episode 29. Or if you get the emails summaries sent to you, the link will be right there in your email. And remember, if you use the link to buy the book on Amazon.com, then Journal Talk will get 4% of your purchase. So you can deepen your journaling and support Journal Talk at the same time. Thank you. Has anybody ever heard of hypergraphia? It's a condition of wanting to write, like, all the time. <laughs> In this next segment, Heather mentions hypergraphia, and I wonder if I might have a mild case of it. Do you? Do any of you, the 27 listeners of Journal Talk, have this condition? If you are suffering from hypergraphia, then this next piece of conversation is especially for you. 
Heather teaches us some pragmatic tips on how to organize a lifetime collection of journals. Have a listen. I think I actually have the, the condition hypergraphia, you know, that's when you, you get completely compelled to write. I mean, it, it sounds like it's a condition or disease, but for me, it's a blessing. But, you know, with all these different journals and my daily journals written since 1981, I've accumulated 265 notebooks. Oh and um, so it's a lot of stuff, and that's steamer trunk upon steamer trunk full of stuff. So the key to extracting anything useful from this much writing is an organized index. So yeah. what I do, I have a master list of journals, so I put the notebook number because I number them all, and then the date span that I kept the journal, and then every, mm-hmm. you know, I keep key events accounted, you know, like my divorce, my birth of my children, you know, my, well, you know, that's all out of order, obviously, but, um, you know, all these different key events in my life during those times. So not every one, so every, every few entries there's a big life event that just sort of puts the journal writing in context, or if I go on a big trip to Germany or something, I'll put yeah. that in there. So every time I finish a journal, I photocopy the front pages, which turns out to be kind of a running table of contents. So as uh-huh. I'm writing, the day I'm writing and I say, oh, today I, my, my son lost his fourth tooth or something, and I'll write that little notation in the table of contents and the page number where it's at in case I ever want to go read about it in, at length. So uh-huh. I finish the journal, I photocopy it, I enter the journal dates and the numbers in my master list, and then I file the photocopied pages into a master binder. So if I want wow. to know or look something up or figure out where I was in my life when I did this, I just open up my binder. I um, can kind of place the time. I can usually remember about the season or, you know, about the year, but then I can look for it, and then I can go and dig into my trunks and then read everything at, le- at length if I want wow. to. Wow. You have a journal of journals yes. that you go to, and, and it sort of has a chronological listing of all these different key events, key things, key thoughts, and it says, oh, right here on notebook number 174 on page 29, I talked about this and that and this and that, and you can go look that up. Right, right. Wow, wow. And you know there's times when you just are writing and you feel like what you're doing is you're like you're in the flow or you feel like it's really good stuff, really, you know, great insights. I always mark those. And, in fact, I, I have a separate sort of index for that, and I write down the journal, the date, the kind of the theme that I was addressing in the page number, and then I highlight it in the journal so it's really easy to find that. And sometimes if it's really good and I think I might want to save it, I either transcribe it and put it in a separate notebook or I photocopy those pages, so I put that in there. And, but the, the, the one thing about that is that sometimes we end up writing really great work, but we don't feel like it's good. Like we don't feel that, oh, this is wonderful. You know, it's only upon rereading later do we find yes. we had sort of a stroke of brilliance. And so I didn't want to just leave it to what I thought at the time was good. I wanted to have access to anything, yes. just the day-to-day stuff. And, and um, so my binder is at the end of every year, it, when I had only a few few journals, I would be able to re- reread them. Now, yeah. you know, there's no way yeah. I can go through 260. 65 notebooks, but every year at the end of the year, I can look through my journal binder and I can review, I do, I do a life review and say, wow, I've really accomplished this, or wow, yeah. I've been talking about the same complaint for 10 years, what should I do to fix this? Um, because, you know, you get lost in the day-to-day and sometimes we don't make progress. Right, right. Wow, Heather, that's so incredible. I wish I had started, you know, I've been writing for 30 years almost also, and I wish I had done a more clever uh, job at 
being able to make things accessible now. And I imagine people listening to this might think, oh, geez, wow, what a, it sounds wonderful, very noble of you to do all that. But what kind of a time commitment are we talking? I'm guessing from your perspective, it's just take a few minutes to do it little by little, chip away at it as long as you kind of stay on top of it. You're, you're fine, and you would never do such a monumental task. You wouldn't try to do 30 years' worth of journal writing all at one, in one sitting to index it all, but if you do it a little by little, you can really uh, save a lot of time in the long run. It's never too late to start. I mean, I didn't start this. I, I had no idea how to index my journals when I was 11 when I did this, so I didn't start this until, oh, I don't know, 10 or 15 years ago, and it just gets refined all the time. So start now, and, and I don't even wait till the end of each journal to account for it. I just write it, you know, there's two blank pages at the beginning of the journal, and then as I'm writing, I, I'll just turn it over and say, you know, today is the day that I went to the doctor and had a physical. I mean, just mundane stuff. And I put, and, and, but then if there's a big thing, then I kind of circle it or highlight it or use a different mm-hmm. colored pen. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And the second, it takes me about seven minutes per journal to photocopy those two pages, hole punch them, put the journal in the place where I'm going to store it, and then put it into the uh, binder and then update my master list on my computer. And then every five journals or so, I print it out and shred the old one. So the the very front of the binder has a hard copy of that. And then another point I'd like to make is that I do offer um, periodically a, a, a journal writing index retreat. So if you did feel like you really wanted to index your journals, you could come and do a three or four or five day retreat at a retreat center and have the time and get some strategies and some support to do that work. I love it. I love it. Yeah, have people come together, bring their box of journals that they're yeah. going that they're going to work on together and just the same way that people would come together and do scrapbooking. Yeah. Um people can come together and find ways to get this enormous mound of wisdom and insight into some manageable and searchable <laughs> format. Yeah, I love it. Read out excerpts to one another. I mean, there's, it's totally safe. We don't comment on it. We don't critique it. But, you know, people mm-hmm. can cry and people can be sad and people can enjoy and people can laugh and they can rediscover them, their youth. They can find out mm-hmm. they've had this passion all along and suddenly it makes sense why they have been interested in XYZ and now that they're really going to follow that. or You know, I mean, there's just these great insights that come. And then in a community like that, and not only is it motivating to keep up with the task, but that's your only task. Your entire week is dedicated to self-care and indexing your journals and processing, and it's just it's magic. It's really amazing. Yeah, and just yeah. hearing people talk about their stories and everything is just, it's, it's my favorite one. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing all these great tips and ideas. Oh, sure. Um, I could talk about it forever, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, guess what? Journal Talk now has a listener participation hotline. If you have a question or a comment, you can call Journal Talk and leave a message for Nathan or any of his guest journaling experts. Just call area code 805-751-6280 and leave a message at the tone. We'd love to hear your ideas, suggestions, or even just a voice of support. And now, back to more Journal Talk. Many thanks for listening to Journal Talk. Up next is one of my favorite segments of conversation with Heather Severson. She shares a unique journaling exercise that not only can boost your self-esteem, it could foster a real sense of self-care. 
and it definitely raises one's level of gratitude for life. I was really inspired by this exercise, and you know what? It's not one that I've heard many people talk about before. I can't think of anybody who has mentioned this to me. It's a, it's Now, it is a journaling exercise that you might want to view as an ongoing work in progress. It's not necessarily something that you can do in a five-minute sprint. Here's Heather Severson talking about how to keep your resume of survival updated. Heather, could you tell us about your resume of survival? I, oh, I, uh, sure. I really enjoyed learning about that. Okay, well, this is this is something that I, I, I kind of stumbled on again. I mean, I, you know, I've, 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 as many people do, I've survived kind of a litany of personal tragedies, and I'm not going to get into details about that here because it's that's not the point. But my journals have helped me cope with them each step of the way. And at mm-hmm. one low point in my life, I crafted what I called my resume of survival. And I was very ill, and everything from my normal life had been stripped away. I was coping with multiple spinal cord surgeries, and so I had left behind my career. I was unable to walk, even care for myself completely. I couldn't engage with caring for my children. I mean, I just felt like my whole life was gone. And so I was toying with my academic resume and, you know, thinking, oh, how am I going to cover this gap in my life? And, you know, all those, all those, and I was also looking for solace. I was looking to see that I had accomplished something in my life, even if I didn't mm. do much in the future. And it just, it was sort of hollow for me to look at those academic accomplishments in my list of public publications and degrees and such. And so I, st- I just pulled out a piece of paper and I started writing a list of all the personal challenges that I had faced from the time I could remember. Anything that mm. seemed like a, a personal accomplishment that had made me into the strong person that I am today. And wow. After I, you know, I, the happy ending for that is that I have my career back, I have my children back, I have my health back, and things are going very well with that. But I continue to update that that resume of survival on this about the same amount of time that I spend, you know, working on my academic CV to update it. I make sure that any time I have a big personal accomplishment or overcome a challenge, I add it to that. And it's private, it's quiet, nobody else is going to see it. But it really tells me what I've gone through in my life to make me who I am today, as yeah, much as my yeah. career and academic experience does. And so I really recommend people to do this. If, if, you're, if you're ever having, if you're down in the dumps or you need some reassurance, it's a great ongoing exercise for people to try. Yeah. Wow. That is fantastic. That's been, and just like people say, you know, every, every couple of years you really should update, you know, your career resume. It's a really great practice to get into just to keep, you know, a list of your personal accomplishments and not necessarily what your job accomplishments are, but, you know, things that make you a stronger person. And I love it. I think I'm going to try it. Oh, I recommend it. You will, you will, and and over the years, you know, things will come up and, you know, even, even the, I, I look at it now every once in a while, every couple of years, and, and, and I find that I wrote down about things that I was proud about as a parent, about, you know, mm-hmm. handling a situation with my children in a way that I liked. And, you know, as my children are growing up and one of them is going to be a teenager any minute, you know, I, I think I'm going to refer to it quite frequently when I feel like the bad mom. I'll realize that, you know, mm-hmm. I really have been doing my best and, and I, you know, I have made decisions that I'm proud of. And, and it's just sort of yeah. a private, quiet acknowledgement of persistence in the face of overwhelming pain, and it really does help build our self-esteem and confidence. And so I think it's a worthwhile exercise. 
Now, um, if the resume of survival sounds a little bit overwhelming, or like maybe you'd like to get to that at some point, um, mm-hmm. but you just don't have time, maybe you're a parent or you're just busy, one thing you can do sort of in that direction is you can write a thank you note to yourself for all that you have accomplished to this point in your mm-hmm. life. It could be specific. It could be, you know, just a way you make up the rules for this. You respond to this prompt however you like. You may be surprised at what emerges from this. Even five-minute writing response can really be a self-esteem booster and a gift to you. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You may find yourself thanking yourself for things you didn't even think about, you know, and, or maybe you could even just write a list of the things that you're proud of yourself for. And then, you know, keep that in a little file and, you know, build on that as part of your resume of, of survival later if you, if you choose to. If people would like to connect with you, if people would like to hear more or get in touch with you for some of the workshops you mentioned, uh, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Okay, well, I'm currently focusing on my book, and so I don't have any journal writing workshops scheduled at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would like to invite listeners to join uh, the Write It Out Journal Workshops discussion group on LinkedIn. Oh, so yeah. I checked the membership list yesterday, and I think we're approaching 900 members. Wow. And so that's a great place if you're a LinkedIn user to come and chat about journals. There's great resources. There's some really amazing members. You know, some of your guests uh, on your show have, are, are, are members there. I'm, I'm not going to name names. I'll just tempt you with those. And um, I'm a member. I believe I'm on that list. Yes, you are. And there's, you know, I mean, Barbara Stahura. I mean, I'm not. Well, Barbara Stahura is one. And then you know, there's several others, I think. But um, yeah, And it's a yeah. great place. It's safe. And you can come and lurk if you want. You can come and share resources. This is not a direct way to connect with me. But if listeners don't know yet about it, uh, about the International Association of Journal Writers, that's mm-hmm, a wonderful mm-hmm. place. You can listen to these wonderful interviews, much like your own, about journal writing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I'm on Twitter, and I have a Facebook page. So the, the connections and the links for that would be on, on my website, and it's writeitoutjournal.com. Mm-hmm. And that will have all the links to all these really interesting places on the interwebs that we can connect. Okay, super. Yeah, and I'll, I'll put up the link on the uh, show notes for this episode. Okay, excellent. Great. And then I also have sort of a hub. It's, it's heathersieverson.com. So if you're interested in learning more about my memoir, it's, it's not published yet. I'm still working on building the platform. But if you go to heathersieverson.com, that's mm-hmm. where you can find out about all the crazy things I have my fingers in. Okay, super, super. Thanks so much, Heather. This has been fantastic. Great to get to know you, and uh, good luck with these projects. I'm sure we'll, uh, we'll be in touch. Oh, I hope so. I've just really enjoyed getting to know you, too, and I'm really a big fan of your show. So every episode, I'm going to drink it up and tell everybody about it. So I think you're offering a great service (laughs) and resources for our our journal writing community, and you're you're really a very safe interviewer and and wonderful and humorous, and so I'm I'm a big fan. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Heather. That means a lot to me. Yeah. Aww. Is this the end of the episode? Gosh, that went so fast. There's so many things I wish I could share. There was more of the conversation with Heather. I guess it'll have to wait for another time. In the next episode, Mary McCarthy will join me as we answer your journaling questions. And then in the next week, we'll be talking with Jackie Holder from the UK about some sexy, sacred journal writing. Mm, I can't wait for that. You can leave your comments for this episode of Journal Talk at www.writeforlife.us slash episode 29. Or you can leave me a voice message about this episode at 
751-6280. I just love replying to your comments and questions. So I'll see you next week. Until then, keep on writing. This episode of Journal Talk is copyright and brought to you by Write for Life, an online resource for living with passion, clarity, and purpose through journaling. Visit our website at www.write, spelled W-R-I-T-E, the number four, life, L-I-F-E, dot U-S. Thanks again for listening to Journal Talk and for voting that this is the best health and fitness podcast 2013.